Lord, we thank you for this amazing time of worship that we've had. God, we've just gotten a taste of your glory and your goodness, God, through the praises that we have sang and we've lifted up to you. Lord, I just pray right now as we begin to study your word, Lord, and look into what you have to say to us, God, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be attentive to you. God, you really do revive us, Lord, when we're empty and poor. God, we've emptied ourselves of everything we recognize. We're devoid of anything good. We recognize your goodness and your glory, and we are drawn to you through your grace. And God, I praise your name for that. So Lord, I pray right now as we look at your word, God, I pray that your grace is more evident now than ever before. God, for those that feel like they're not worthy, I pray that they would recognize that indeed they are not worthy, but there is a lamb who was worthy, and he was slain for them. God, I pray for that person today. Father, thank you so much, God, for what we're going to experience through your word. God, what we've already experienced, God, through your praises. God, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move freely in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we've been in a series called Thankfulness the past two weeks. Today will be the last in the series. Uh, next week we'll call a series called Glory. It'll be all about Christmas, uh, as you can imagine. I have to admit something to you. I, I've broken one of my cardinal rules. Uh, you know, here at Simple Church, we don't care what you wear. You can dress up or dress down, or I just require that you dress, right? So you got to wear something. Uh, people ask me, what should I wear to Simple Church? I'll say something that you can praise Jesus in and something that you can pray in. So if you can't do that in whatever you're wearing, you probably need to wear something else. Um, I have broken that rule. Apparently, when I was putting my microphone on, and, uh, and I was tucking my shirt back in. I had tucked it in too tight. And when I went to lift my hands uh, to, to worship just a minute ago, I was stuck right here. And I couldn't get any higher than this. I had tucked in a little too tight. I'm better now. It's all good. I just about ripped my shirt in two. I just <clears throat> like that. And my shirt came untucked. So I'm good now. Uh, if it wants, that's the reason I look like I have a tire right here. This is not fat. This is just my, this is my shirt has come untucked right through, right in this area right here. And that's the reason it looks a little bulgy right there. And I got a t-shirt on under here, so that's the reason. It has nothing to do with anything else. But I am thankful uh, today. <laughs> I'm thankful for a shirt that bulges. Now, I am thankful that um, we have a right view of self. That we have a right view of self, that we have a right view of Jesus, and today that we have a right view of salvation. You see, we've, we've been in this series called Thankfulness, and it's all around Thanksgiving. Everybody's like, yeah, every pastor in the county is doing a a sermon series on being thankful, and you're exactly right, and we're no exception in that regard, but what I'll say is this, we looked at things from a little different perspective, we said in order to be thankful, one of the things you got to have is a right view of self, and we talked about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and how they, they saw themselves in two different, completely two different ways, you know, one saw themselves as righteous, he was self-righteous, the Pharisee, we saw the tax collector who just beat his breast and stood off at a distance and just prayed out to God, have mercy on me. And then we saw also the thankful leper uh, last week. We saw that there was, there was 10 of them. Only one of them came back to say thank you to Jesus. There was only one of them that recognized that Jesus was the source. The other, the other nine were worried about being cleansed. This one was worried about being close to Jesus. Remember how we said that? That we recognize that, that Jesus is the source of what we need. He is the source of our healing. And I'm not talking about physical healing. Yes, he is a source of physical healing, and that is great and wonderful. And yes, there are some people that they receive physical healing as a result of God intervening in their lives, and they trust in God, and, and God does a great miracle in their life, and they are healed physically, and that is wonderful. 
That is phenomenal when that happened. The, the greatest miracle, though, in my opinion, is an eternal miracle. And that is when somebody puts their trust and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they're rescued forever. Not just in this life, they're rescued for all of eternity. That's a much greater miracle, in my opinion. And that's the ones I, I like to just, I, I mean, I shout. And, and Isn't it funny? You see people like, if somebody were to, were to, were to get up, if they, if they had been paralyzed from birth, let's say, and they were in a wheelchair... And we were to pray over them, and they were to get up and walk across right through here. I believe there would be people crying and screaming and shouting, and we would be all just giddy about the miracle that had just been performed. I have a question. Why don't we do that when somebody gets in this water and gives their life to Jesus Christ? Why, why are we not as excited when that happens? Because this is eternal. This is eternal. This is not just temporal. This is eternal. When somebody puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we should be losing our minds when that happens. You know why I think part of the reason is we don't have a right view of salvation. We're going to cover a passage today that everybody in this room has probably heard of at some point in their life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Everybody in here could probably recite that verse. Uh, Tim Tebow you know, he wrote it on his eye black, you know, like everybody went and looked it up when they saw John 3.16 written on Tebow's eye black, you know, and that was great and wonderful, and I'm excited about that, man. I, I want us to, to take a look at what salvation really is, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he says. I mean, we're looking at it almost exclusively red letters today and what Jesus says about new birth, and we're going to look at exactly what Jesus says. I think sometimes we get mixed up. I really do. I think we get mixed up. I, 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 the, the children of Israel did. They got mixed up. Let, let me give you a short synopsis of kind of what happened. So, so God makes a promise to Abraham that he's going to have a bunch of kids, and he's going to be their God, and, and, and they're going to be his children. He's going to take care of them. He's going to nurture them and make sure that he sustains them and all this stuff, right? So they're, they're going to worship God and God alone. And he gives them kind of a prescription for how to do that. He says, if you want to do that and you want to keep things right and you want to continue to pursue me, here, here's a good list of things that you can follow in order for that to happen. And what did everybody do? Everybody starts following the prescription instead of following God and their faith in God. And they got off track, right? That, that, that's what happens, right? And we do this. You and, I, you and I do this. Everybody's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah we do this. And I'll give you an example. The speed limit. <laughs> speed limit is a prescription for us not to die right it really is i mean that's what it's designed for so we got the government the law the whatever city county whatever the federal they give us these laws they give us idea this is a prescription for you not to die and and, and what happens we get so worried about the speed limit we drive like an idiot when we're trying to do a u-turn to get into starbucks right I mean, you will put your life on the line to get into Starbucks, and you know there's cars coming. If I just get that U-turn in and whip it around there, man, it, you know, you're coming in sideways into Starbucks, you know, and like, I got to have coffee, you know, that whole thing that's going on about 6.30 in the morning. Yeah. It's like we, we've worried about the prescription so much, we've forgotten about what the core issue was, and the core issue is so you don't die. So you and your family in the car with you while you're going to get Starbucks don't die either. That's the purpose. It's not just to keep you down. And that's the way a lot of people look at the law. That's the way they look at, the way they look at righteousness. The way they look at pursuing holiness. 
They look, well, that's just supposed to keep me down. That's supposed to keep me from, from you know, knowing something better, deeper, funner, whatever. You know, that's funner. That's a good gra- grammatically correct statement, right? It, it's supposed to, it's, it's supposed to, it's a man keeping me down. That's all it is. <laughs> that's the way a lot of people look at it. You know what Jesus wants us to recognize, I think, and the reason I believe God sent his one and only son to this earth for the purpose of helping us recognize that we got a lot of things messed up. That we wasn't looking at things the right way. And Jesus, man, he, he, I want you to get something here. We talked about two weeks ago the Pharisee and the tax collector. And we looked at, we talked about how the Pharisee was kind of a jerk. And Pharisees in general were kind of jerks. And uh, Jesus, as a matter of fact, called the Pharisees in general. He said, you're nothing but a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead man's bones. You look good on the outside and it looks clean and nice and straight and all that. But you're just dead on the inside. He said, he said, you're, you're, you're trying to, to put too much, too much stake in the prescription instead of putting your stake in the faith of what God is trying to show you. you, you you've gotten out of whack. You've gotten it all messed up. And we do the same thing. We think that there, there's tons and tons of people in this world. They think if I do enough good stuff that I'll go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. Bad people go to hell. Isn't that the way it works? Isn't that, isn't that way it's supposed to work? Man, that makes sense. You know, that way, that way I can do some stuff. If I do all the right things, then, then I can go to heaven. That's the way it's supposed to work. And if I do a lot of bad stuff, then I go to hell. We know that. And that's like, well, that makes perfect sense to me. Well, that's not the way Jesus said it works. Uh, it's not at all the way Jesus said it works. This has got nothing to do with good or bad things you do in your life. It's got everything to do with faith and trust in me. Everything in the world to do with faith and trust in me. And it's always been about faith. Even in the Old Testament, we look at Hebrews, and all Hebrews goes on and on and on to say is that all these Old Testament guys, these heroes of the faith, that that's the reason they were saved is because of their faith. They were saved through their faith. You know how you can be saved? Through your faith. Not how many good things you do. You know how you can go to heaven and spend eternity with God in the presence of God? Through your faith. Not how many good things you do. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody's like, oh, good. I don't have to do anything good. That's good. I'll just go home, sit on the couch, eat Twinkies. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> As a matter of fact, what happens is when you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you have that faith, it's going to motivate you to do some things, and the things that you do will be evidence of your faith. That's what this book teaches. They said faith without works is dead, that, that if you, you're doing nothing, then it's obvious you don't have faith. Everybody's like, man, you just put the burden back on us. No. No, 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 no. What I did was said, test your faith. You want to test your faith, just look at the stuff you do. You want to know if you have faith, you just look at the stuff you do. That's all you got to do. It's pretty straightforward. I haven't even read anything. I got to get back to reading something here, don't I? I'm about to preach the whole message. We're in John chapter 3, beginning of verse 1 is where we're going to start. John chapter 3, beginning of verse 1, it says this. There was a man named Nicodemus. A Jewish religious leader, it was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miracle signs are evidence that God is with you. What does he say here? He said, it's obvious that you're from God. Now, I give, I give old Nicodemus some credit here. At least he recognized that Jesus was from God. Uh, a lot of the Pharisees said that the reason Jesus 
had the powers that he had was because he was of the devil, and that's the reason he was able to do some stuff that nobody else could explain is because he was of the devil. At least Nicodemus recognized the miracles that he was performing were from God and that God has sent this man to teach them. And Nicodemus comes to him at night. Now, there's a million reasons why people say that he came to him at night. The real answer is I don't know. All I know is it says he came to him at night, so he came to him at night. Now, maybe he was doing it. I think this is legitimate when people say, well, maybe he was doing it to hide out a little bit. He was waiting until it was dark and nobody else could see. You know, you, you guys know that that happens, right? When, like, you go to some place you don't want anybody to see and know where you are. You go there at night, right? And that's what happens. You go there at night so you can hide out a little bit. It's like you're under the cover of darkness and nobody can really tell. So, yeah, we're going to get to that in a minute, too. Just hang on. So, anyway, so he goes there at night and he's, he's, he's like, he's hanging out with Jesus. Like, this is not typical for a Pharisee to do. As a matter of fact, they didn't really, for the most part, none of the Pharisees like Jesus. They didn't like the fact that he said he was the son of God, that he said that, that he was from God. That, that really bothered a lot of the Pharisees. Well, apparently this particular Pharisee, it didn't bother so much. He said, it's obvious that you were from God. Nicodemus slips in there at night. He's like, I've got to figure this thing out. He's, you know what he's got? He's got a seeking heart. I think Nicodemus has a seeking heart for God. See, the Pharisees thought that they had it all worked out. They thought that they dressed a certain way, they fasted a certain way, they prayed a certain way, they go and present sacrifices a certain way, that that's all they needed to have a right relationship with God. That's all they needed, man. I just need to do this, follow the prescription, and then I'll be right with God. Well, this guy knew there's something. That's not quite it. That's not quite it. And I, I really believe at this point in time, Nicodemus is, is really asking the question, not what do I need, but what, what else do I need? You know what I'm saying? Like... Like, I got it figured out, this whole, you know, being close to God thing. I've got it figured out, but there's something else I probably need. I, 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 need, I need something else on top of what I already got. And a lot of people look at Jesus this way. They, they, they're like, man, I'm living right. This is, oh, I love, this is, my, this is my pet peeve, okay? This is one of my pet peeves. I got a lot of them. This is what people tell me. It takes a breath out of me just to share this with you. People will tell me this. I love it. This, this is a great one. They will tell me, I'll get my life straight and I'll start coming to church. I'll straighten out my life and I'll get it, I'll get it where it needs to be. Then I'll start coming to church. Kenny, I'm in a messed up place right now. Just let me, let me straighten some things out and, and then I'll start coming to church. That works, right? Act wrong. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. It just is. I, I try to use this analogy. I say it's like, like deciding you're going to get better at basketball and then go join the basketball team. No, what happens is you join the basketball team, then through practice and being part of a team, you start to understand what it takes to be a team and start doing things so that you play better and you are better. That's the way that it works. It's not like you, you start out as the greatest ba- Can you imagine if somebody was the greatest basketball player ever and they never joined a team? It just doesn't happen that way. You know how they get that way? It's because they were part of a team. They were, they were learning from each other. They were learning from a coach that could show them the way they needed to go. And that's how they got the place they are. And people tell me all the time, man, let me get my life straightened out, and then I'll start going to church. I was like, that's good. That'll never happen. I'll never see you. Good luck with that. I said, what you need is you need Jesus Christ in your life. And hopefully if you come to church, you'll see that, and you'll understand that, and then Jesus Christ will... We'll just draw you to him, and you'll be overwhelmed, and you'll be like, you'll fall on your face before God, and you'll be overwhelmed by his Holy Spirit, and you'll cry out to him for mercy, and then God will change your life radically forever. And they're like, yeah, no, I don't think I'm in on that. That sounds kind of hard, man. You, you, you make me, I, you, 
I'm going to have to admit that I'm a sinner. I'm going to have to admit that I've got nothing. That all the good stuff I've done adds up to zero. You, you want me to admit that and then fall on the mercy of Jesus? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. That's exactly what Jesus says. That's exactly what Jesus says. And that didn't add up for the Pharisee either. He didn't. He, he, he didn't really understand completely. I think he was looking. He was looking for Jesus. He was looking for what he had plus something else. And Jesus just rocks his world. Jesus said, I tell you, in verse 3, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this Pharisee, he gets real confused right here. He's like, born again? Uh, I'm confused, sir. I have been born one time. I'm not exactly sure how I can be born again. Will you please give me some further information? He says in verse 4, he says, what do you mean, said exclaimed Nicodemus. <laughs> I think that he was like, what are you talking about, dude? I mean, that's what he said in the English vernacular. Uh, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Look, I, 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 know, I know anatomy, okay? And I know, I, I know how a child is born. I don't really think this is going to be working for me as a grown man to be born again. Uh, my mother, she's not in that kind of shape, okay? She's not ready for me to go, Mom, I got some bad news for you. Uh, I don't know how we're going to talk about this because it's going to be really awkward for a little while, but let me tell you what this Jesus guy says. Jesus, like most of the time when he talks to the Pharisees and a lot of time when he talks to people, they don't really get it, okay? They don't really understand what he's getting at or what he's saying. And, and, and he, he tries to explain it in terms where we can, we can kind of grasp it. That, you know, that, that's, that's one of the reasons we come in here, right? Because you read this sometimes, you go, ah, I'm not really sure I understand that quite exactly right. Can, can somebody kind of explain it to me? It's also why we have small groups, so we can talk about these things, the questions that we have, the things that we need to understand about God. And it, sometimes it's hard to do it on your own, so we lean on each other. and We, we come in here and we say, God, I need, I need some of my teammates, some of the people who are on my team to help me understand. Help me understand how to be better and do better. And that's, that's what Jesus does here. He says, and Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can... Uh, reproduce only human life but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life so don't be surprised when I say to you you must be born again the wind blows wherever it wants just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it go where it is going so you can't explain how people are, are born of the Spirit how are these things possible Nicodemus asked so Nicodemus he's like all right, I understand that you're not saying that I need to go back into my mother's womb. I understand that you're saying physically I don't need to be born again. But you're talking about being born of the Spirit. You're talking about a rebirth that has to happen to the Spirit. Now, I, I, I was trying to think, how am I going to explain the Spirit? <laughs> how am I going to explain your Spirit to you? Well, I, I got to think it, my daughter did it. So I'm, I'm going to give you the example she, she gave. She's like, her teacher uh, at Faith Christian School asked her, said, all right, gave everybody a sheet of paper, picture of a human, a person, you know, stick figure, whatever. I don't know, standing there, you know. And she, she, she gave him the instructions, well, well, where is the spirit? Show me the spirit of this person. And some people would draw the mind or circle the mind on this drawing or, or some people would circle the heart. And some people would circle the heart and the mind. Well, Cassidy was looking at it. I, I'm completely stealing this from her. 
she was looking at it, and she said, huh. And she looked at it a minute, and then they said, she said, Cassidy, what, what, where's, where's the spirit? Where, where's the spirit? She circled the whole person. She just says, who we are. It's everything about you. You can have a heart transplant. You can have a spirit transplant. You can even have a brain transplant. We know those aren't possible, but you could even have a brain transplant. And that's not a spirit transplant. Spirit's who you are. The spirit's what's going to be left over when, when your body decays and your heart's gone, your brain's gone, all that. The spirit's who you are, and it's going to be what's left over. And it's going to spend eternity in one of two places, either in a place that is the eternal place of God, which is heaven, or it's going to be in a place called hell, which is eternally separated from God. And your spirit will live on after you. It doesn't matter what happens to your mind or your heart or the rest of your body. Your spirit is who you are and it's what's going to be judged one day. It's what's going to be looked at by the righteousness of an almighty God. And here we see him saying you've got to be reborn of this spirit. The who you are has got to be reborn. Now... That's got to be news to this dude because he's been living his whole life thinking it's all about what I do. The boxes that I check in my life, making sure I do all the good stuff. Check this box, check that box. I've done all the good stuff, done all the right stuff. Yeah, I'm good. And Jesus rocks his world and says, no, it ain't about all that stuff. It's about your spirit, the condition of your spirit. It has to be reborn. It has to be changed. It has to be completely new, recreated, if you will. All right. Here's where it some people are going to kind of get their feelings hurt. Maybe, maybe this podcast, I don't know. Maybe I won't get any feedback from this, but that's okay. K-E-N-N-Y at simplyaboutjesus.com. I want people to email me at that email address if you have questions about what I'm about to say. There is a term in modern evangelical churches that I am not a big fan of. There is a term that I have heard many, many times. And if you have said this term to me, please understand I am not trying to offend you. I am trying to correct you and show you the truth of God's word. That is my sole purpose. I have no intentions of hurting anybody's feelings or, or, or anything like that, of crushing anybody. But listen to me. There is a term that I am not a big fan of that, that, that goes around in evangelical churches these days that I am not a big fan of at all. And it is called rededication. I got rededicated, is what people will say. I think this is a term that we have, been, we have made up in order for people to take the easy way out. I, 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 see, I, I see renewal. I see, I see all kinds of people that have gotten away from God coming back to God. But, but when I look and when it comes to salvation... When it comes to, to truly being a Christ follower or not, that there is either a rebirth or there's no rebirth. It either happens and you become a new creation in your spirit or you're not. But people want to use this term rededication so that they don't have to acknowledge that I was on my way to hell and now I'm not anymore. But I don't want everybody to know that. I, I don't want everybody to know that, that I wasn't really a Christian for that period of time. I, I don't want everybody to really know that I didn't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ even, like, even though I pretended like I did. And what, what do we say? We say, oh, so-and-so got rededicated. No, you either got saved or you didn't. You either had a reborn spirit or you did not have a reborn spirit. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not like you, it's just birth after birth after birth after birth after birth. What it is, is it a new spirit or it is the old spirit. And if it is truly a rebirth of your spirit, you need to acknowledge that before men and you need to acknowledge that before everybody else. And I really believe that it will affect your walk with Christ if you do not acknowledge that through baptism and saying, I identify with the body of Christ because I recognize that I was not reborn of the Spirit. Everybody's like, I don't know if I really agree with that. Fine, that's cool. That's cool. K-E-N-N-Y at simplyaboutjesus.com. Email me. Call me. My, my cell phone number is on my Facebook page. Go and look it up. Call me. I'll, I'll be happy to dig through Scripture for you, and we can look for rededication all day long if you want to. But I'm telling you, what I think it is more than anything else is a creation of man to give everybody an easy way out because they're afraid of acknowledging the fact that they were not born again. So they say, hey, we're just rededicated. I hope that that didn't hurt you. I hope that you aren't embarrassed. I hope that you come to Jesus. Verse 10. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and you don't understand these things? He said, whoa, you're a Pharisee. Uh, you're one of the leaders. You're supposed to know what it means to know God. You're supposed to know what it means to have a relationship and a right relationship with God. You're supposed to know these things, aren't you? He says, I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me, when I tell you about earthly things, how possibly, how can you possibly believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned but the Son of Man. Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about himself. He says, who else are you going to ask? Who else are you going to ask about what it means to be born again? Who else are you going to ask about what it means to have a right relationship with God? Who else are you going to ask except somebody who has been to heaven themselves and had communication with God himself and there's only one person that has done that, and his name is the Son of Man. His name is Jesus Christ. There is only one place that you're going to find this truth, and it comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. He says, if I tell you about earthly things, you're not going to understand it. If you, how can you understand about heavenly things? But the Son of Man has come down from heaven, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. This is what he's saying. He said, i got to go to the cross. i got to be lifted up. they got to put me up on a cross, and I've got to die. The same guy that, that came from heaven to tell you how to be saved, to, ha to how to have a right relationship with God, what salvation is really all about, He's got to die so that you understand. He's got to die so that it can be made right with God. He's got to die. He's got to be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, why was that a shocker to the Pharisee? Why would that have blown his socks off? Because he thought, man, God was just for us, the chosen people, the Israelites, the people, the descendants of Abraham, and here, Jesus is rocking the whole world to him by saying, you know what? I've got to die. I've got to be lifted up and put on that cross for every single person. That means those Samaritans that you hate, 
Those Samaritans that, that, that you think don't have a right relationship with God because they haven't done the things that you have done to check all those boxes, those are the people I came to die for just like I came to die for you. And this would have knocked his socks off. He wouldn't have been able to comprehend the fact that God would love everybody that way. Listen to what he says. For God so loved the world, he loved the world so much, so he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God sent Jesus Christ for the sole purpose to save the world. To save the world. He didn't send Jesus to judge the world. He sent Jesus to save the world. And he had to do that by sacrificing him for all of us. And there was no other way for that to happen unless Jesus were to be lifted up. But I have to point out this key component, this, this, this thing that is the crux of the gospel. It is what drives the gospel. It is everything about the gospel. I want you to understand why. Why? Why? Why would God do that? What purpose would it serve for God to do that? So loved. So loved. So loved you. So loved you. So loved you. So loved you. So loved. Motivated out of love. Pure love for each and every one of us that he gave us a way. He gave us an opportunity. He gave us a pathway. And I believe he said, he said, here it is. Here's the free gift. Here's the offering to you, for you. And it's my one and only son motivated out of love. The greatest gift ever given, it was motivated out of love. He goes on to talk about judgment. It says, there is no judgment. It's anyone who believes. But anyone who does not believe has been judged already for not believing in God's one and only son. The judgment is based on the fact that God's light came into the world. But the people love the darkness more than they love the light. And their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. This is what it says. This is what Jesus said. This, this is the Son of God speaking not only to Nicodemus, this Pharisee, but also speaking to every one of us. And this is what he says. He says, those that believe are coming to the light. Jesus is the light that has come into the world. And if you come to Jesus, it will expose the sin and the wretchedness that is in you. And that's the reason a lot of people don't come to Jesus. Because they don't want the light to be shed on their sin and them to recognize it for what it is. And they're like, no, I'm going I'm to stay away from that because I don't really like for the light to be shed on the things I'm trying to hide. Under the cover of darkness, we try to try to hide and try to try to sneak around and act like this is not really true but in reality when Jesus sheds light on it he goes this is what is going on this is what you must recognize in order to realize that you need me and you need the sacrifice that I'm providing through the love of your father who is in heaven that's what he says he says you need to recognize that people that don't come to the light they don't come to the light because they love the darkness they're evil, their sin is, is clinging to the darkness, and they don't want to relinquish that. They want to hang on to the sin so that they don't have to have it exposed. They don't have to have it brought to the forefront so they can deal with it. 
Isn't that what we always do with the things we don't like about ourselves? We kind of shove them to the, to the back corner of our lives and try not to acknowledge them, try not to deal with them, try to just say they're not really there, try to pretend like we swept them under the rug and they don't exist anymore. And Jesus says, well, when, when I come into your life, when, when the light of the world comes in, we just take the rug and we throw it out the window, and all of a sudden, all of those things that you were ashamed of, you were burdened by, you hated about yourself, all of those things, you give them to me, and then I wash them clean, I make them new. See, see, all those things, they affect your spirit. All those things you're trying to sweep under the rug and act like they aren't really there. The, the wrong relationships to your boyfriend and girlfriend, the wrong relationships uh, in your life, the, 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 the things that you know break the heart of God that you continue to do day in and day out. You, you kind of sweep them under the rug and try to act like they're not really there and try to act like they're not going on. And what is happening? Jesus just says, let's take the rug back. Let's pull back the curtain. Let's let, let's let all of these things that are affecting your spirit Let's let them loose. Give them to me. Set them free so I can have them. He says, this is the invitation for you. You know what happened? Nicodemus became a believer. He did. You're like, how do you know that? There's no more in John chapter 3 about him. In John chapter 19, this is what it says. Actually, in John chapter 7, it's also in about verse 50, 51, it says that he's in front of all the other Pharisees and they're trying to condemn Jesus and he's like how can you condemn a man without putting him on trial first you know so Nicodemus speaks up there he's recognized as Nicodemus the one who came and saw Jesus at night and then in 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 chapter 19 of John it says this Jesus had been crucified he was put in a tomb of Joseph of Arimathea who was a closet Christ follower it really was it said that he was he was somebody that that didn't really show that he was a Christ follower. He, that's who Joseph of Arimathea was. And he had given a tomb for Jesus to be buried in. Now what happens once you do that? You're no longer a closet Christ follower, are you? Everybody's going to know that's Joseph of Arimathea's tomb over there where Christ is laid. I guess he was a Christ follower. You better believe it. Also, you know what happened? You know what happened? This dude named Nicodemus, who is recognized in John chapter 19, also is a man who came to Jesus at night. The same one. You know what he did? He brought 75 pounds of spices and oil to anoint the body of Jesus. You know what he said? I'm a Christ follower. I'm a follower of Jesus. I think so much of this man that I'm willing to anoint his body and let everybody know that I'm one of his and I belong to him. And there are people, there are people that are trying to hide and they're trying to act like, they're trying to act like I'm doing all the right things so I must be headed to heaven. And Jesus says, you got to be reborn of the spirit. And when that happens, when it happened to Nicodemus, when it happened to Joseph of Arimathea, when it happens, you don't want to hide that. You don't want to hide that anymore. You want everybody to know. And that's exactly what happened to those two men. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. The invitation is this. If you have been reborn of the Spirit, you need to get baptized because you want everybody to know. Come and pray. Come talk to me after the service. I want you to know that you, you, you must acknowledge this before men. It's going to affect your spirit. It's going to affect the way that you follow Jesus if you can't follow him in believer's baptism to begin with. 
This message is not just about baptism. This message is about following Jesus and letting everybody know that you're a Christ follower. And yes, it's important to take this first step of obedience, but it's important for you to take every other subsequent step of following Jesus and letting everybody know that you're a Christ follower in your life. It's about step after step after step. To be truly thankful, you've got to have a right view of self. You've got to have a right view of Jesus. And you've got to have a right view of salvation. Let's stop playing games. Let's stop playing games. If we're truly going to be thankful, let's be serious and let's embrace the truth. Let me pray. Father, thank you, God, for your amazing grace and mercy. God, I know that there may be somebody in here, maybe they've had their feelings hurt, or maybe they, they, they just feel crushed right now. Well, God, I use that to draw them to you. God, you would use that to draw them to repentance and draw, draw them to the light. God, we so desperately need the light in our lives. God, I pray for that person that you would do that in their life. God, and then for the person. God, they have surrendered their life to you, and they have been reborn. They, they have been born of the Spirit, and God... You have radically changed their life. I pray that they would recognize that through baptism, God. They would proclaim it before men so that people can see that I am a Christ follower. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Jesus loves me, and I love Jesus, and I just want everybody to know that. Maybe there's somebody here that needs to follow through a believer's baptism. God, whatever the case may be, I pray that if we are thankful, that we are thankful in the right way, that we are thankful because of the truth, that we embrace the truth, and we love the truth, and we love the light. So, God, for that person that is here, God, maybe they're hurting. God, I pray that they would see that there's healing in Jesus. God, there is restoration in Jesus. There is revival in Jesus. God, but it all starts with the Spirit. Renew their spirit. God, change their lives forever, beginning with their spirit, beginning with the inside. Let it work from the inside out. God, your love is so amazing. Your love is so overwhelming. And your love is what drove Jesus to the cross. Your love is what sacrificed him for each and every one of us. Help us to recognize that today and embrace that truth today so that we can be forever and eternally grateful. God, we do love you. This time belongs to you. God, whatever people are in need of, I pray that they'll be drawn to this altar and just fall at your feet, fall at the foot of the cross and give it all to you. Stop sweeping it under the rug, God, but give it straight to you. Say, God, I don't want to hide anymore. I want to embrace the light. However you need to use this word, I pray that you would do it in the hearts and lives of the people in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand?